Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 109. Hope everybody's having a good week out there. Um, Little piece of news that I want to share with you and uh, give a shout out to some of my old dear friends uh, out there in the drum forum world. Um, years and years ago, I became a member of a drum builders forum called Ghost Note. Uh, the, the web address is ghostnote.net. And that forum went away a few years ago, and I have sorely missed hanging out. And I've just made lifelong friends through that forum, some really good guys, and it is absolutely a laugh a minute over there. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that this week, Ghost Note has risen from the ashes. The forum is back up. So if you're up for seeing how some master craftsmen build drums and, you know, silly stories about, you know, bodily functions. I mean, just all kinds of nonsense goes on over there, but it really is a great community. So if you have the chance, head over to ghostnote.net, register and join us for uh, some really cool conversations over there. We've got a great episode for you today. I'm going to be joined by just a phenomenal drummer out of the Minneapolis area. I'm going to be joined by Noah Levy right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. 
All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined by Noah Levy today. Uh, Noah is just a fantastic drummer. Uh, the last several years, he's been playing with the great Brian Setzer. Uh, he spent some time in the band Five for Fighting. Uh, and his, I guess his main project, uh, you know, that, that, he was in for many years uh, is the Honey Dogs, uh, which is a great band based out of Minneapolis. Uh, Noah's just a super guy, and I want to thank our old pal Dave Kirby for hooking me and Noah up and having this great conversation. It's a great hang. Um, I-, I laughed so much. Noah's just such a funny guy, and the whole interview is just full of great advice and tips for working drummers. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Noah Levy. Hey, good evening, Noah. How's it going, man? Hey, Jamie. How are you? Well, I can't complain too much. Uh, I understand you just got back from a uh, nice and well-deserved vacation. How are how are things up in the in the great north of Minnesota? Uh, quiet. Very <laughs> quiet. <laughs> Yeah, man. I need to feel some normalcy right now. Yeah, man. We're, you know, and I don't know how to quite put this, you know, um, as we're recording this, I'm kind of in my summer break for the show, you know, not publishing new episodes. So by the time your episode airs, it will be, you know, a a month or so from now when we're talking. And, you know, right now, currently in the news, you know, this whole pandemic just, you know, it keeps getting worse and worse, you you know, if, um, you know, if if the pundits are correct. And it seems like we're never going to get back to playing shows ever again. So how are you how are you filling your time right now? Um, you know, as luck would have it, I've been building a studio for the past year. Ah, and my electrical went in the week of the quarantine. So um, I've, it's, it's kind of been a blessing in the respect that I can just kind of hunker down and work here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, gig wise, I've had the occasional, I've done a, a drive in gig where you're playing to people in cars, <laughs> <laughs> which was surreal. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's about it, really. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, I was talking to, you know, a friend in Nashville and, and he made the point, he was like, you know, we were kind of the, the first to close down and we're going to be the last to, to go back, you know? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I hope people have outlets, you know, I'm, I'm worried about all the crew folks that, yeah. that I travel with. You know, we can, musicians can kind of find side hustles, but uh, the crew folks need some help. Yeah. I, and there's just, uh, you know, countless stories about, you, you know, lighting techs or monitor engineers or whatever the case may be that are, you know, picking up landscaping gigs or, you know, dr- driving yeah. Uber or, or whatever, man, those folks are are really hurting. And, you know, I'll take this opportunity to give a shout out to Music Cares, which is part of the, you know, the Recording Academy. They've got a yeah. great thing going, you know, so if if anybody out there listening, if you can throw a, you know, a, a 20 spot towards Music Cares, they are trying to help those folks in the industry. So, yeah, they do great work. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But, um, but you know, I, I think uh, it's also, 
people just trying to stay um, engaged, you know, uh, trying to stay in touch with people and, and trying to play music together right now. You yeah. know, it's, it's our sanity, right? It's, it's our lifeblood. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I've been doing some, you know, some sessions, uh, which is cool, you know, going into the studio, but it's really weird. You know, I've always played in situations where there was at least some element of live cutting on the floor. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like playing with a bass player or, or, you know, a guitarist or whatever, you know, in the sessions that I've done since all this started, it's, you know, you go in and play to a click and then, you know, a few weeks later you hear, you know, how it turned out, which is, yeah, it's an adjustment for me anyway. Oh, no doubt. Well, you know, I do a lot of that work here because, you know, people send me their guitar and vocals with a click, but I always have to ask, is this guitar going to be recut? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the fills you do, sometimes you want to lean forward. You know, if you fall too far off the back of it, yeah. it'll sound really strange. So, whereas if you're in a room with people, you're all reading each other and, yeah. and reacting. So Yeah, there, there's a huge part of that. Well, you know, we, we digress here at the very... <laughs> you know, beginning of, yeah, right. of your episode. But so, you know, as is the tradition here on, on the show, um, you know, t- you're a Minnesota native, if I'm understanding correctly, but walk us through, you know, you getting your start in music and, and how you got into drumming to begin with, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, well, I can point directly to my brother, who's eight years older than me, um, he had a cardboard Beatles band he started where he was, you know, miming the guitar and he needed a drummer. So he put his little five-year-old brother nice. in front of a cardboard Ludwig kit with markers in my hand. Nice. That's perfect. And, uh, and it kind of, you know, I re- he realized I could keep the beat right away. And, and then he started playing real guitar and I started playing real drums or actually pots and pans. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, and then was, was mom and dad okay with your choice of instrument? I mean, that's always a, a you know, a real issue. Not at all. <laughs> well, you know, my, uh, my father was just kind of mystified by it. Um, my mom would, she'd let me play when they weren't in the house. She just hated the sound of the drums. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but they were, yeah, and they were both like, how are my son's musicians? I don't, I don't get it. But. Uh, that's awesome. So now is your brother still involved in the industry at all? Yeah. He and I, we still play together a lot. Um, we had a band called the honey dogs okay. for many years and, uh, toured extensively and, um, uh, I did that for um, maybe 10 years, um, spent my twenties in a van with him. Oh, that's, that's good times right there. <laughs> yes. yes. Although now, you know, the brother thing, we can play covers together. We can't play originals. Although <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've just been recording his originals with them again. So nice. So yeah, it's complicated. So I, well, now the honey dogs, you, you guys put out quite a few records too. I mean, I, I want to say there was like four or five different records that, that you guys put out in the day. Is that right? Yeah, I put out, yeah, I think I was on about five with them. 
And then they continued on um, with another drummer, Peter Anderson, who's great. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, but I, I left to kind of, actually, I left when my son was born. Um, I, I wanted to get off the road for a bit. And then I just started freelancing with other people. That's when I started kind of uh, touring with other folks. Yeah, I got you. Well, so kind of going backwards a little bit here, you know, because we, we, you know, I I have a tendency to go down every rabbit hole I see. So I apologize for that. (laughs) But, um, you know, but back in your early days, you know, you and your brother, was it you two kind of forming your your garage bands and, and that's what stuck? No, you know what happened was, you know, he's so much older than me um, that I I was playing a lot with friends my own age. Um, and then I started playing, when I was in high school, I started playing in clubs, or like junior high. Um, and my brother started bringing me in around then. Okay. With different different projects, and we would end up in different bands. We had a band called the Picadors for a long time that I brought him into. Um, and uh, that was kind of the first band where you're making records and you're touring a little bit, and and then uh, played with some different people, and then we started the Honey Dogs, and that kind of took off around here. Yeah, well, and you guys have such a great scene up there, and it's been that way for a long time. I mean, everybody immediately thinks of Prince, right, you know, in in kind of that Minneapolis scene, but there was so much good music coming out of your area, especially, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, Soul Asylum, the Jayhawks. I mean, just all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, those, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, replacements. Um, yeah, it's, and I'm to this day, the level of talent in this town just blows me away. I, I keep like, I'll be on a session. Where'd you come from? I don't know where <laughs> all these people come from, but yeah, there's I mean, all those bands where, you know, the replacements were like our stones, you yeah. know, if you're my age. Um, and I was a huge Prince fanatic, you know, especially sign of the times era. Yeah. Um, and, uh, all the offshoots time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just so much talent uh, in that area. So, I mean, I, I I read somewhere that you're self-taught. So I'm, I'm guessing that means that you had a a whole lot of competition, (laughs) you know, growing up in, in that scene. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the scene here, it's strange. It's almost split in half. There was like the punk rock players that it was cool not to be good. Um, and then there was like the Prince players where it's, if you come, you're going to come correct. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and the jazz scene. And I, w- I kind of had a foot in both worlds. You know, I'd go see the replacements and they'd be too drunk to play. Um, and then the next time you'd see them, they'd be brilliant. But... Um, I, I was kind of in the, I came up in like the punk rock world a little bit and started refining it as I got older. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's, there's a very, I think that's fading a bit now, but 
there was a little bit of, oh, it's cool not to be good at your instrument for a while, you know? <laughs> Sign of the times, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I we kind of went through that here. I mean, obviously, we've never had a, a huge music scene in, in central Kentucky. I mean, there's a lot of talent here. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not like... Um, you know, Austin or Minneapolis or, you know, certainly Nashville or LA, you know, or, or, or Phoenix, but there's a lot of talent here. And I think we, I think all scenes go through those waves of, you know, we don't care. We don't read our press. We, you know what I mean? And then, right. Then it kind of comes back around to, I'm the educated cat that can go into any session and read charts. You know, there's, there's both worlds, you know? Yep. Yep. So, and the, the older I get, you know, I know when it was, when I was getting out of high school, it was, you should, uh, you should go to music school. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It'll, you know, it'll <laughs> change the way I play. You know, I, I was, I didn't even know what I didn't know at the time, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, I know so many, you know, there's a million great players that come out of these schools. It's just being young and cocky. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I've had, I, I mean, I, I can't count, you know, on all my digits, how many Berkeley grads we've had on the show. And, you yeah. know, it's just, I, I, I think there's, there's not a wrong way to do it. You know, I mean, I come from your school, you know, in my own playing in that, you know, I've never really had any formal training and that's been okay for me. But the guys that don't have the formal training always say, you know, I wish I had got you know, more formal training. And then you have some guys that graduated from Berkeley that was like, you know, I would have much rather, you know, been playing in garage bands and riding around in a van than spending four years in Boston. Right. I mean, sure. Sure. You know, but the reason I, I feel like it would have been good is, um, just when I get on sessions with these guys, man, men or women, they, they just, they come correct. You know, they've, they've been put through their paces. Yeah. And they've been doing it since they were very young. So Yeah, but you know, the more of those you do, the more you more things you pick up. You know, I mean it's sure. it, it's taken me, you know, twenty years to learn the lingo of just you know, what what those guys are talking about in the session, right? And, sure, sure. But once you pick up on it, it, it becomes a little bit easier, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And I do, I do also hear that from Berkeley players too. Like go for a year, yeah. <laughs> and then, and, you know, and then drop out, get, get a gig. Get out of there. So, yeah. Heard that one too. Well, you'll be a lot richer if you drop out after a year. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, certainly. <laughs> it is not a cheap place to go. Um, so, I, you know, I, you guys had some success with the honey dogs and, you know, I mean, you I don't want to steal any of your thunder, <clears throat> but you've got, you know, a, a very impressive resume. And obviously you've spent the last several years with, with Brian Setzer and the Brian Setzer Orchestra. But, you know, one of the projects that I wanted to specifically ask about is the Bodines. Now, mm-hmm. you know, they rolled through town here. Oh, I don't know. It was been a couple of years ago. They did a gig here and they had, you know, the man, Kenny Aronoff, playing drums <laughs> with them that night. So what's it like playing with a group who's, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, the regular guys, Kenny Aronoff? Is that intimidating at all? Uh, you know, it wasn't intimidating. It was just, uh, man, I, I had to, 
the hardest part was just having to hit that hard. And, and I'm a pretty hard hitter. Yeah. Um, but those guys, the songs are quite long. And, and Kurt, when Kurt, the singer's foot starts to move, he wants you to hit hard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's got this body language. And so, um, just kind of the, the physicality that Kenny brings to a gig, yeah. um, you know, they want to feel you move in air with the Bodines and, uh, um, that was kind of, I wasn't intimidated, um, by him, you know, he's a phenomenal drummer. Yeah. Um, and I was never going to be him. We're, we're different players, but, um, I did have to bring that energy. Yeah. Well, and, he has. yeah, well, he's just a ball of energy. I mean, that, yeah. that guy doesn't have an off switch. I don't think <laughs> we did a live record together. Really? Where, okay, cool. Yeah, um, he was very gracious, you know. I mean, I've always, you know, I've always looked up to him, you know, since I was a kid, those Melon Camp records, you know. Um, and I've stolen many fills from him over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was he was very gracious. I, I gave him a big hug. He's like, hey, you got a real Jewish thing going, kid. <laughs> you look like Simon Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Of course, that's um, what Kenny said. But... <laughs> Um, but it was it was so one would we were on a click and one would kind of do more percussiony type stuff and one would play the kit and we would alternate songs. I mean we were both on kits, but one would just do like more backbeat stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's cool, man. I'll have to check that out. I w I wasn't aware that you you know that 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 existed until just now. So I'll ha definitely have to check that out. So as you're. As your career, you know, was progressing, you know, when you, uh, you know, you said you took some time off uh, at the birth of your, your son, you know, from the honey dogs and you kind of started freelancing. Talk to me a little bit about that process. You know, when you start throwing your, your name out there as, hey, I'm available, you know, what were some of the first things that came along? Well, um, I, let's see here thinking back, I, I was touring with this guy, Mason Jennings for a while. Um, and you know, as you tour, you meet different people. Um, and I was out in Los Angeles doing a record for somebody and I met the bass player from five for fighting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he came, he just kind of dropped in on the session and we hit it off right away and they said, well, come on out. And, uh, and, you'll audition for this. Um, actually I'll go back. Um, the, the way my name got out a little bit was I played with this band golden smog, which okay. was, um, Gary Lewis from the Jayhawks and Dan Murphy from soul asylum and Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Um, and it was like this kind of, uh, you know, every, everybody doing their solo project. I don't want to use the word super group, like a stupor group, they called it. <laughs> well, that is a super group. I mean, you're just throwing those names out there. That's, that's some pretty heavy weight in the Americana world anyway. Yeah. So that, that was a gig that, you know, I was like 23 at the time and they were all a little older and, and, you know, I was starstruck and had a great time doing it, but it kind of, I hate to say it, but sometimes like you'll have a gig that will legitimize you in other people's eyes. You're not a better player than you were the day before, but suddenly people think, 
that you are, you know? Well, it's resume building, you know, is, 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 is what yeah. I refer to it. You know, if you, if you, you know, if, if you tour with Prince, you're a hot commodity after that. Right. I mean, right. It, same kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I did that. And then, um, calls started coming in a little bit and, um, you know, suddenly you're legitimized. And, um, I was out in LA doing a record for my friend, John Fields and the bass player from five for fighting was hanging out. And so they had me come audition, um, kind of a cattle call thing. And I ended up getting the gig and, that was another one where suddenly you're doing television and, and, um, you know, people kind of see you a little more. Yeah. Now, w- was this around the time that those guys just exploded, you know, right after nine 11 and all that stuff? It was the record after that. They had a song called 100 years. Okay. Uh, we were doing all the TV shows. Okay. Um, and it was, it was fun. Uh, really good band. And, uh, did that for about a year. And then I went on to, to the Bodines after that for about six years. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is a great move obviously, but can we explore something here? Just a, a second with five for fighting, you know, doing the TV shows. I, I always find it interesting, you know, when bands go on, you know, good morning America or, you know, whatever it is, you know, Jay Leno, or I, I guess on Leno, you're actually playing, but when you do those kind of morning TV shows, a, a lot of people don't realize that you're using, you know, manhole covers for symbols that really don't make a lot of noise. And, you know, you've got, you know, mesh heads on the kit is that weird to you? I mean, I've you know, never, I've never experienced it. So I'm curious. The only time that happened to me, the only time I had to lip sync was at the Daytona 500. <laughs> With them. Um, it was the craziest thing. So it was five for fighting. Um, all the singers were singing. I should clarify. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but all the singers were singing live. Um, it was Brian Wilson um, Clint Black and Five for Fighting, and we were all on these flatbed trucks um, <laughs> at the beginning of the race. I mean, you got the people with the flags out front, and <laughs> and so Brian Wilson did Good Vibrations, Clint Black did his song, and and we did a hundred years. But all the drummers, you know, we had the cardboard on the drums, and we were all trying to crack each other up by doing the worst fills, <laughs> like completely out of time fills, and see what we get away with, but. My big fill in the song, you know, coming out into the last chorus, all of a sudden the cardboard came up and hit me in the face. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure nobody could tell, but oh, I was mortified. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, I've heard stories from other guys that were like, you know, yeah, we did, you know, I, I don't know, Dateline, NB, I don't know what the, you know, but they're doing some crazy morning show somewhere, Regis and Kathy Lee or something. I don't know. Right. But they were yeah. like, you know, I, we're not playing. You know, I mean, it's basically, you know, the, the MP3 playing and we're all lip syncing oh. and, you know, you've got, you know, fake cymbals, fake drum heads, the whole nine yards and just, you know, wow. it's insanity. Yeah. We, we never had to do that. Although, you know, maybe that's a track thing too. Uh, we didn't really have many tracks or any tracks on that gig. Oh, that's cool. But, yeah. 
you you like to hear about people that actually play, right? When you <laughs> when you yeah, uh, when you pay that concert ticket freight, you like to know that the guys are really playing tonight. Uh, oh man, yeah. So well, it, so so after Five for Fighting, you you go and do the Bodines gig for you know several years, as as you stated. And is that the gig that kind of led into the the BSO or I, and I saw that you have a Mandy Moore credit as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an interesting one. I was, I never met her, <laughs> but um, <laughs> my son was actually in the hospital. He had just been born and my friend John Fields was producing her. So um, I snuck out for a day and cut a couple songs for her record of covers she did. Okay. All right. But you, so, um, so you never met her actually. Never met her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there are those gigs too, kids. Uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. So at what point did Brian Setzer come onto your radar? Well, um, I was, at parent-teacher conferences <laughs> for my son. And I got a call from a producer saying, hey, uh, I got Brian Setzer coming down to record tonight. He needs a drummer. You want to come down? I'm like, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> that was, the Stray Cats were my first concert. Really? Yeah, I mean, I learned how to play drums to those records. Really? So, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So this I, so this is getting good. Please continue. Yeah, so I, you know, I was 12 years old. My mom dropped this friend of mine and I off at, at Northrop Auditorium and blew my mind. Blew my mind. That, that album, Built for Speed, was just huge in my house. Yeah. So um, I get the call to go record with him, and I walk in, and he was just kind of messing around playing the vibes. And he had his pop up. You know, he he looked like Brian Setzer, <laughs> and he was a really sweet guy. I liked him immediately, and um, they played me the song. I went in and I hit it, and I got it on the first take. And Brian runs out. He's like, "Where you been all my life? Do you read?" Oh wow! <laughs> and I said, uh, "I don't." I can learn. <laughs> we said, no, this, no, no, don't worry about it. So we, it was supposed to be demos and it was for the orchestra. Um, but it was just, we were cutting as like the rhythm section. And then they called me back the next day and the next day and the next day. And then they decided, well, this is going to be the record actually. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So I was, I was really happy about that. And didn't hear from them because he already had his touring drummer for the orchestra. And so about a half year later, maybe a year later, they called and said they're going to do a rockabilly tour in Europe. And would I like to do it? And I said, absolutely. And kind of been with him ever since. Yeah, man, that's well, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, dare I say, that's got to be kind of a, a, a dreamy gig. I mean, if the Stray Cats were, you know, your first concert, I mean, obviously the guy is just an amazing player. I mean, he can play, uh, play yeah. anything. But, yeah. you know, I, I mean, talk to me a little bit about 
you know, just the surreality of it. I mean, it, it's got to be, you know, do you pinch yourself every night? You know what? I, it, it sounds corny, but every night when he does the opening chords to uh, um, rock this town, the, the hairs on my arm stand up. Of course. You know, it's just, and your adrenaline goes. But the, the thing about Brian, he's the kind of performer that, you know, when sometimes when somebody looks at you, it's, what are you doing? You know, like some people play mad. When he looks at you, it's, fuck yeah. yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's very in the moment. Um, and so every, I, when, when you play with him, it's like getting shot out of a cannon every night. It's, it's so intense. Um, and then I ended up playing with the big band later, which is a whole other story, a whole other discipline, too. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, look, it, it, you know, people would fire cannons at me if I tried to play with a big band. You, you know what I mean? It's like I, that's yeah. just not something that's in my personal lexicon. So, I mean, I, I would imagine it took a little bit of woodshedding to get ready for that. Oh, my God. Well, and, you know, as a non-reader, I mean, I can read very basic, but... Um, these charts, uh, they're, they're very in depth. So I had to memorize everything. So um, not an easy, game. and not an easy task. And I think, I think the reason it worked with Brian is it, it's just a, it's a feel it's a, you know, I can hit the hits. I can do all that stuff, but it's, we just feel it in the same place and we can swing together, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, like Bernie Dressel can play circles around me. I'm just going to come right out and say it. He's <laughs> the guy is like fucking buddy rich, you know? Yeah. Um, but I can, I can quarter, I feel like I can quarterback the band. Well, you know, and, and that's a super important skill. You know, I mean, I, I, there are countless examples of, you know, I would rather have a guy that can quarterback, as you put it, you know, that can just get us through an arrangement, get us through a song, than somebody that can, you know, just play circles around every other drummer. I think that's a a, a much needed skill set in some instances. Yeah. Well, and that's not to say he wasn't a great quarterback, too. But yeah, it's yeah, it's a I just feel like the it's a groove thing on top of it, you know. Yeah. And uh it just works. It just it fits, I think. Yeah, well, and and I think that there's, you know, you've been playing with Brian for quite some time now. There's a certain telepathy that develops when you're in a musical situation for, you know, a number of months or years that, you know, sometimes you're just on the same wavelength with a guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you and reading body language. I mean, now after you get a little bit older, when you get a new gig, you think I just want to be two years into this, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just long to because you know at that point, well, actually, you know, or two weeks into a tour, they know that a mistake is out of character, or I understand if they lift their leg like this, or their hand does that, or I can tell if they're tense, or you know, yeah. You just, you, as a drummer, you know, we, we have to read body language a lot. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, and you, you know, you were talking about, you know, reading the foot of, you know, in the Bodine's gig, you know, there's, yeah. 
so many of those little signals that 99.8% of the population never realizes. You, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, and also every front person has very different expectations. Um, and, and learning that is, is so important. And, and sometimes it presents itself and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, for a while. Yeah. Well, that's true too. I mean, but you made, you know, I, I laughed, I cackled, but you said, I just want to be two years into this or two weeks into the tour. And, and that's a really good point. You know, as I get older, you know, I, I certainly don't want to speak for you, but you know, any kind of new situation that I'm in, I want the growing pains out of the way instantly. Yep. You know, you don't want to go through that process again with, an, you know, with another group of musicians. So how do we as drummers overcome that? Uh, I don't know that you can. I, I think you can sublimate it. Um, I think uh, some people are really good at not letting it show. And that's another thing <laughs> I like about being a little older is you care a little less um, and, and you kind of understand that, it, that this will get better. Yeah. But as it, it, the drum position is such a, uh, an interesting spot because people have to trust you. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody where maybe the first set or the first couple gigs, they just, they aren't letting you lead the way a little bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, uh, once they get confidence in you, it completely changes. Um, and I've had that happen from time to time. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I, I would imagine, you know, I, obviously, you know, you're playing at such a much higher level than, than most of us ever get to do. I, I was just kind of curious as to, you know, how you, I guess how you overcome some of those hurdles, because I would imagine you've been in a gig before where you were like, man, this doesn't feel good at all right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to think I've, you know, I've had the occasional gig where, um, my usually my first thought maybe it's the drummer's ego, but it's like oh this feels good. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You yes, have, I have do. A little bit of that, and it sounds horrible. It sounds cocky, but um, and sometimes you're just not the right fit. Um, I've made the mistake. I had a tour um, with somebody that um, they thought they were hiring a different drummer. Basically, <laughs> they wanted the last drummer. I see. And, and I pride myself on being flexible, but I was just the wrong guy for it. Yeah. Um, and the other drummer wanted the gig back, and I got the gig back, you know? Yeah. So, um, but usually, yeah, that one was hard because I tried to change how I played to the point of losing myself. Um, and that can happen. I've seen, sometimes you'll go to a show and you go, that's a really good player. They just 
don't look comfortable. I don't know, you know, is the, is the band leader psyching them out? Are they, you know, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But more and more, I see that sometimes there's just dysfunctional situations. Yeah. As a player, but you have to have a certain amount of confidence that I'm going to make this better. Um, and that's how I've worked through it. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point, you know, and I'll give, um, you know, a brief example. I actually caught the Black Crows probably circa 2004, 2005, something like that. And it was while Steve Gorman was not in the band. They were working mm. in a, a new guy. And I, I think his name was Bill Bailey, I, if, if my memory serves me correct. But, you know, every song, one of the Robinson brothers walked back and gave him instruction on how to play the song. And it, and it was exact opposite advice on how they wanted it. So that poor guy was in a situation of, you know, which master do I serve right now? And you could just tell that life sucked for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, that's a tough <laughs> one. And and uh, I've also dealt with some people that only respect the fuck you. Um, <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, um, it's like they're screaming at you to just tell them to fuck off and then they'll respect you. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen very often. I don't like being in that position, but sometimes it happens, but that's, yeah, that's unbelievable. And you're also stuck between two brothers that probably have, they're, they're both very large personalities. I don't know them. I can't, I shouldn't conjecture, but yeah, I mean, I've been there where you, the Bodines, there were two front people and I had to get used to one would tell me one thing and one would tell me the other. And that was, that was a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and I think I found a spot for it, but yeah, that drummer, Oh, that's a tough one. And that, that, that black crows drummer is probably embarrassed and, Oh, that's a tough one. That's well, I, really that. I, you know, again, to 99.9% of the people in the audience that night, it was like, I'm seeing the Black Crows. They sound good, right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? But me, as, you know, what I consider to be a semi professional musician, you know, I pointed it out to my wife. I was like, man, you know, at one second, Chris is railing on this guy to speed up or do, you know, whatever. And then Rich turns around and tells him to slow down or whatever, you know, and I was like, man, this this poor guy is catching hell through the whole 90 minute set. And you could you could just see the look on his face of what the fuck do you want me to do, guys? You, you know what I mean? It, it was just yeah. I, I felt bad for him. I, you know, I had a gig. I won't mention the name, but um and it was a, a song that everybody going to the concert had heard. And the singer says to me, um, this isn't Setzer, by the way, but this, the singer says to me, I need you to slow it down at the chorus. Like, you want me to lay back on the beat? No, I want the chorus to slow down. <laughs> okay. And every bone in my body was telling me not to do it. 
and it was horrible. You'd, you know, you'd, you'd get ready for the chorus. All of a sudden, Oh, just a little part of me died every night when I did that, but yeah, and it didn't sound good. (laughs) It really didn't. But you know, sometimes people just want you to be who you aren't. Um, yeah. And, and you have to be flexible. It's, uh, it's not about me, but right. Obviously, but you know, I mean, I've been in situations and you can speak to this probably a lot, a a lot more eloquently than I can, but you know, like with Brian Setzer, he's played with a lot of drummers before Noah. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I'm assuming he has said, Hey man, you know, do your thing. You know, I, I don't suspect he told you to learn every record note for note and play it just like that. But at the same time, you know, like you said, rock this town, I, you know, there's 4,000 air drummers in, <laughs> in the audience, right? You gotta, yeah. you gotta stay true to the original uh, to a certain point. You know, how do you deal with that? You know, it's, that's a good point. People, they want to hear that, you know, what the, in the chorus, right? If you don't do that, it's like, <laughs> you know, you have to, yeah, you have to think about what was a big part of the song. You might editorialize around the edges, but yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Dance with the one that brought you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to put their mark on every gig, you know, and, and you, you know, you brought up a really good point of I've changed my playing in some situations to the point that I was, you know, I almost lost me. You know, yeah. we talk so much to young players about develop your voice, develop mm-hmm. your sound, develop your thing. And then you catch a gig, right? You, you, you get up on stage and somebody says, don't do you do I, I don't know, Tommy Lee, you know, don't do you do Artemis Pyle, whatever the case may be, you know, that's, that's a huge dichotomy for most people. Yeah. And I think there's ways of doing it. Um, you know, if you were to play Artemis Pyle or you were to play Tommy Lee, it would still sound like you. Yeah. Um, it's it's just kind of the degree to which you do it, and is your body comfortable? Are you um, because flexibility is kind of the name of the game as a side person. You know, it's you. The gig isn't about you; it's about making the gig better. So, um, but occasionally. Uh, it's just an unwinnable situation. Like that drummer from the black crows, they were doomed. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it was off the rails bad. Yeah. And I'm sure they were a good drummer and it's just, you're, you're just doomed. And, uh, it's, you, I, the, the mistake I made on that gig was, um, yeah, changing too much. And, um, yeah, it was uh, lesson learned, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, you, you pack that away and, and remember it next time, I, I guess, is really the only thing Good you point. can do. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's, it's, it, these things are great learning experiences, and hopefully you get a chance to use it next time, right? Yeah. 
Well, and I think that's the cool thing about the drum community. And, you know, I, I kick this dead horse on this show all the time, but there is such a fraternity amongst drummers, right? In that every drummer I go see, I'm stealing something from, from that guy or girl. I, you yeah. know, there's going to be something that works its way into my lexicon. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Um, I, we, we can't all be right for every gig. You, you know yeah. what I mean? You can make yourself better for every gig, but, you know, I, I don't know that anybody's going to hire me to do like a hardcore straight ahead jazz gig. That's just not, yeah. it's not something I'm going to be comfortable pulling off. And it's you not, and me both. Yeah. It's just not going to be good. Right. Yeah. Um, and likewise, I'm not going to be the next drummer of, uh, you know, I don't know, Iron Maiden or Slayer, because that's not something I do well, right? The, right. So once you find what lane you fit into, doesn't mean you always have to stay in that lane, but it means that's your comfort zone. Do, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I... In my mind, I would like to think that I could jump in and do all these things, but, you know, I, I work at jazz drumming, but I'm just not great at floating, you know? I, I, my body wants a backbeat. Oh, yeah, yeah, same. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I'm a little too heavy at it. Or, but, yeah, I think people just figure that out. And I know people that are, like, very athletic, and they're great, like, uh, you know, like, thrash metal drummers, you know, like, and it's, it's like a different discipline. Yeah. It, you, it's a different place. You feel it in your body. You know, it's, it's very different Yeah, thing than I'm used to. You know, for me, it's like Charlie Watts or John Bonham or Jim Keltner, like that kind of, it's, it's a role, you know? Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point. You know, we haven't talked about your influences, but, you know, you just mentioned three of the all time greats, in my opinion. You know, those are three guys that I would point to as role models for me as a player. Who who are some of the big influences for you? Well, you know, obviously, Ringo was, you know, because that was the first music I imprinted on. Um. Ringo was a big one. Um, John Bonham, I just adore. I still, I just love John Bonham. I love his pocket. I love the sound of his drums. I love his parts, you know. Um, Charlie, I love, he's just, he's all over the place, but I, I just love that, you know, mid-period stone stuff. Yeah. Um, and Keltner, um, that was a big eye opener for me when, when bring the family came out by John Hyatt. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know Keltner was on all these records that I'd listened to growing up. And then I went back and discovered him on all the Ry Cooter stuff and George Harrison and whatever. But that was a big eye opener. Well, he, he was the guy that I learned behind the beat. You know, I mean, like he was the the example that everybody gave to me of when somebody would say, hey, play this behind the beat. I didn't know what that meant as, you know, a 15 year old kid or 16 year old kid. And everybody was like, you know, listen to some Keltner. 
And yeah, it's it that's in Technicolor right there, isn't it? Like Yes. Oh it, yeah, that's <laughs> it, it that's way behind the beat. Yeah. So that was the example that was given to me by the older musicians that understood. They're like you you need to listen to some Keltner, you'll understand behind the beat. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Zig Modalist from from the Meters and sure. all the James Brown drummers and I was, you know, big R and B head. That's awesome, so. man. Well, part of that may be geography, too. You know, I mean, you're you're up there in Minnesota, obviously, but, you know, yeah. I, I would imagine Motown it really permeated your childhood. Yeah, you know, um, I, I came to R&B in a weird way. I was a big Hendrix fan, and that was kind of my gateway to Prince. Growing up here, it was like, I hate Prince, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then by the time I hit high school, I was just completely enamored of him. Um, and then that, you know, James Brown and, and the Motown stuff is just, it's everywhere. It's, it's like water, you know, Yeah. growing up, you just hear it everywhere. Um, and that just kind of, it's in your marrow after a while, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's so interesting that, that we can all come from, you know, different, societies, different, you know, regions of the country, different, uh, you know, socioeconomic things. But as musicians, we all have like this common, you know, or a set of common denominators. Like everybody mm-hmm. can can point to, hey, this is the thing that shaped me. And so many guys say Ringo, Bonham and, and Watts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I just think that that's, I, I don't know. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing, and and you you kind of talk about the fellowship too among players. And when we get together, uh, yeah, it's it's a common language we have, and it's um, it's it's a beautiful thing that bonds us. I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's been conversations, you know, post gig conversations that I've had where somebody will be like. Oh my God, you know, I, I can't stand John Bonham. And it's like, well, that guy's an asshole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really, I, I have to admit, I get really pissed off when people say Ringo can't play it. Listen, that guy's groove. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, he doesn't have Bill Bruford's chops, but I don't want to hear Bill Bruford in the, in the Beatles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, nobody, I, I, you know, y- Charlie Watts, Ringo Starr, guys that play the song. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, who else would you point to besides one of right. those two guys? They were the perfect guys for their gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, Keith Richards attributes the Stone sound to to Charlie Watts. I I, I can't um, disagree with him on that one. You know. It's uh, it's all good stuff. Well, I, listen, Noah, I mean, this has been just a, a fantastic conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so let's kind of transition just a bit. You know, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned the word sideman earlier. Um, you know, you've been playing with Brian for quite some time. Do you have any kind of, you know, passion projects or solo work that, that we should be looking forward to. You, you mentioned a new studio. So I, you know, I'm going to put two and two together here. 
Yeah, you know, um, it's it, that is mostly just people's songs. You know, somebody will send me a song in the morning, and I'll have it done in the afternoon. Um, any stuff coming out? I'm trying to think. Well, I've been recording with my brother, Adam, so that should probably be out sometime in the next year. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of random stuff here. Okay. So now do do you, uh, obviously you're doing some remote tracks for folks. Do you teach at all? I'm a lousy teacher. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, when, when people ask me if I'll give them a lesson, I say, well, just come on over. We'll listen to some Stevie wonder records or something. <laughs> and, and we can talk about, you know, how the drums are reacting to the bass or why did they choose this or, um, you know, or, or let's just geek out on a record for a while. Um, that's, that's where I feel like I could give them something of value. There's a lot of people that could teach somebody uh, a lot quicker than I could. Yeah, same. You know, but I think that's a huge service, you know, to your fellow drummers is to say, hey, you know, listen to this. Here's why he did that. You know, I mean, right. that's that's part of the playing vocabulary that, you know, if nobody's ever pointed it out to you, you, you might stumble upon that fact of your own accord. But when somebody can point it out to you, I think it sinks in a little deeper. Yeah, and and sitting around and, and talking about stuff like this to me is very valuable. It's uh, um, I, I love to hear from other drummers their experience on the job and and what's going through their mind. And I'm thinking about it as I'm playing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, that's so. that's a great point. Well. As is our tradition, you know, when we get ready to wrap up, you know, I think the whole interview has been full of great advice for other players, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, you know, over your career, you know, which has obviously been very successful, you know, if you can boil it down to a good piece of advice for everybody to take out in their day-to-day -day lives, what would that be? Oh, um, I would say respect the song um, um, and oh, that's a good question. Um, don't be a dick. That's um, important. It's, it's so important that people want to be with you um, and, and that you're a, a generous of spirit when you're playing. Um, no matter what the gig is, um, always take everybody's abilities and feelings into account. You know, it's, it's so important. Um, and, oh, I, I got a good piece of advice a long time ago. A friend of mine said, don't work for money and don't work for free. Oh, <laughs> <good>. Yeah. <laughs> that's man. That's a really good point. And, you know, if you want to elaborate on that, the floor is yours, but man, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, it's fairly self-explanatory. You're going to have to do, you're going to have to work for a little less than you're worth sometimes, but, um, in the end it, it pays off yeah. in a very big way. 
That's very true. Well, listen, my, my friend, you are, uh, it, this has been a great drummer hang, in my opinion. Uh, you are welcome on this program anytime. So, you well, know. Thanks, Jamie. Really nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. We'll, we'll have to have you back. We'll catch up, see what's going on. Hopefully, you know, my, my running joke now is when the end of the world is over and we all get back to, <laughs> you know, to some gigs and playing, Come back and tell us how everything's been going, man. I'd love to. All right. Awesome. Well, listen, have a great evening. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right. See you. All right, guys and girls, that is going to wrap up episode 109 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. It helps us more than you'll ever know that you listen. It helps the show continue to grow. The biggest thing you can do for us, we don't ask for money, but we do ask you to share a link with a friend. It helps us tremendously. Uh, I, I can't say that enough. We sincerely appreciate all your efforts sharing our podcast with your friends. As always, we answer every single email we get over here at the Drum Shuffle. The email address is the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the Drum And of course, you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. Just a quick reminder head over to ghostnote.net, register, join in on the fun. It's a great community of drummers, a uh, lot to be learned over there. Uh, so, so please join me over there. I'm, I'm on quite often, so, uh, I'll look for you there. Hey, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you choose to listen to the drum shuffle on. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming up next week. I'm going to be joined by Mark Pazapia. Uh, Mark is just a phenomenal drummer who lives down in Nashville. Tons of work. He's played with just all kinds of great folks. Uh, it's a great episode. The week after that, I'm going to be joined by the dude, Harry Myrie. Uh, if you don't know who Harry is, get hip quick. What a fantastic conversation I had with Harry. And in three weeks time, I will be joined by the legendary Danny Gottlieb. We've got a lot of great guests coming up and you're not going to want to miss those. So hit that subscribe button. Again, thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate it. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.